Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, welcome back to the Do More Podcast. I'm your host, John Farling. Today, we've got a special treat. Special is probably the key word. Maybe treat, I'm not sure. But we've got my good friend, Terry Royce here. The treat's extra. uh, can I'm trying to introduce you introduce you here can you please stop uh he was supposed to send me an email give me his background so we don't have that he never sent it um I will give him credit he was early and uh, I had technical difficulties with my mic and my speakers but we're rolling here um so Terry since you didn't send me an email telling me about yourself can you give us two to 20 minute uh bio about yourself and uh, go ahead and brag. Give us, give us everything. Sure, man. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, I'm a big, big John Farling fan. So just like a little, a little fanboy over here. Not just kidding, man. You know, I love you, man. We've, I've got to know you pretty well over the last three years. So I truly do appreciate, um, you know, having this conversation here today with you. And I appreciate all the side conversations we've had over the years. Um, yeah, man. I mean, what do you, what do you want to know? There's uh we could unpack or, or pack in as, as much or as little as you want. Um, well, let's, let's start with, cause I'm interested in knowing, and you have your own podcast and we'll plug it. The self storage playbook podcast, which I think is a great podcast. So we know a little bit about you, but take us back before you got into storage, before you got into wholesaling, I think you're bartending, right? What was that transition from bartending to getting in the real estate or just leaving bartending in general? What happened there? Yeah, man. So I had, um, I worked in the restaurant business in, uh, Federal Hill, which is a neighborhood in Baltimore, uh, for about eight years, worked at two different, uh, popular bars down there and actually just jumped right over the bartending gig. I was like a bar back slash glorified bus boy at uh, mother's in Federal Hill for about four years. And then I worked at another bar across the street uh, for three or four years as a manager there. So I just kind of skipped the bartender role. But I served a lot of drinks in the process. I just never had the label. Um, but it was fun, man. And and during that time, uh, you know, I was kind of it was it was right after college. And then I was like, okay, well, I should probably get a job and started where I actually worked for CoStar for three months and then it was a, it was a good entry level gig. And I left to go work for the city of Baltimore in the planning department while I was working at these uh, bars. And I worked at the planning department for a year. I thought that was going to be like urban planning, like, you know, uh, adaptive reuse and all that stuff. And it was just a, I'll say a nightmare. Cause that's a little exaggeration, but I just like saw all the people around there that were, had been there for a long time and I was like, man, these people just don't seem like they have any souls left. Um, and I just, it just kind of hit me. And I, I was working at the bar the whole time. So I was working about 80 hours a week uh, between the two. And I just made this shift. I was like, okay, well, this isn't where I want to go. And I just left that the city job. And then I was working as the manager in the manager role full time. That was my transition there. And during those three, four years, I started while I was even at the city, I started doing a lot of research and reading, uh, before bigger pockets, there was another form. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank and it was actually Tim Randall's forum who, you know, uh, and just reading about real estate and wholesaling. And I was just like, okay, this, this seems like a way to create 
not just make money, but create wealth. And I started dipping my toe in the water. And while I was at that job, I wholesaled my, or at the bar, I wholesaled my first house um, and made like, I think we made like $18,000. And that was just like, awesome. And then the second house I made like 500 and then it was like eight months till I wholesaled another house. But I realized that, you know, the effort you put in to that business, you know, you might not get an immediate result. And that was, that's the tough thing. I think a lot of people get burned out. They want like quick feedback and quick money. Um, but I realized, man, if you really like put the work in here, there's real money and real success to be made over time. And taking that persistence after that first year, year and a half, we, I started to get some consistency and then we grew that business. And uh, I think over the last 10 years, I've probably wholesaled and flipped around 750 houses. Um, wow. We were doing at the at the tail end of my uh, wholesaling business, we were doing about 80 to 100 houses a year. Um, we had a team of about eight or nine people. Um it was a real, I mean, I'm going to stop you there. So you started wholesaling. What were you about? 25, 26, somewhere in there. Oh man. It was like 2008. I'm not good with, I'm a calculator kid. Uh, so that was, (laughs) I guess, 15 years ago. So, you know, I'm 25. So I was uh, 10. No, (laughs) that's great. I'm I'm 41. Yeah. So I was about 25, 26. Um, And and that's to, at, at least to me, that's pretty early to have that that shift, that, that mentality shift. Cause one, a lot of people don't hit that. I probably didn't have that till we were pregnant with our first kid. So I was probably 32, I think. Um, so why, I mean, other than, and don't, uh, don't skip on Tim Randall here. Sounds like you have a lot to owe to Tim Randall, right? Yeah. And I've actually thanked him. Uh, I was like, dude, I used to read your board all the time, man. And just like, uh, I'm really drawing a blank on what the name of it was. I can like picture it. It was like a blue message board, like a little bit old school style. He sold that business to somebody else. Um, yeah. But yeah, I used to read on there and I was like, just trying to understand the mechanic. I remember going to the library because, you know, you'd see all these books on like rental houses. I remember going to Barnes and Noble when there was Barnes and Nobles around at the inner Harbor. They're, they're still around. <laughs> There's one in Ohio. It's like the, the original one. <laughs> but I went and I was like asking the lady for books on wholesaling, like real estate. I was like, yeah, there's gotta be something. And, uh, there was, there was nothing at the time. So I, I had to, you know, just learn, um, almost to a fault by stumbling my way through reading message board posts and blog posts and all this. Like I was highly skeptical of coaches and programs, uh, to a fault. So I never why do really, you think why do you think you had that skepticism? I don't know. That's a that's actually a great question. Um, Thank you. I'll be the last time I compliment you. Um, you know, and I still have a lot of that today in different areas, and it's something that I'm aware of, and I don't know that where that's rooted in, but I know that it doesn't always serve me. So I try to when I'm when I become aware of that, I actually try to like take a step back and say like, okay, what is the reason? Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, at the, at the surface level, it's probably because just a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that oversell and under deliver like products like that, in my opinion. But I mean, you're, that's why I said your question's great because there probably is some kind of deeper issue with that, with, with rooted in trust. And for those people listening that are looking for mentors and coaches, 
you know, that are skept- have my same skepticism, my advice to you would be to find somebody or a group of people that you trust that you can like lean on and, you know, whether that be another individual or Rhea or some sort of coaching group, I think there is a lot of value in different groups depending on your journey. And that's why for storage, you know, I got a coach and mentor. I knew that was a blind spot for me or a weak spot. And I had somebody that I knew that I trusted. Um, and I, and I went in on that, just not knowing what step two was, but saying, okay, well, if I sign up for step one with this, this group and these people I trust, then the likelihood of me getting to step three, four is quicker and faster and actually getting there is significantly higher. Um, so I guess the, the reason I bring that up is I knew my patterns looking back and was aware of them and I tried to not make the same mistake when I decided to pivot into storage. Yeah. Well, and I want to get back to your wholesaling business, but you're in, well, how many masterminds have you been in or had, or mentors combined both of them? Um, really only three, I guess. I mean, if you consider like ongoing groups, um, I've been in three groups, um, which, which is a lot, which you're still active in two of them, right? Uh, no, only the, only one I'm in one storage group right now. Oh no, I'm sorry. Four. Cause yeah. I'm in uh, front row dads, which is like a, yeah. a group that's mainly focused around like parenting and families with like, but it's mostly business owners, which is a, an amazing group that I highly recommend. Um, so yeah, I've been a part of four groups and I'm still in two of them. I'm in a storage group and then in uh, front row dads and yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it can be a lot. Um, and that's my, that's the, I think a lot of people, try to be a part of a lot of things. And as the years have gone on, I've become aware of that too and tried to downsize that to focus on, you know, the people and the feedback and support I get in the groups that I'm part of, not trying to be spread too thin. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, there's a good point there because you start on Tim Randall's free forum. I'm assuming it was free and you did a couple deals and then you saw there's value in this. And my guess is you probably saw someone else doing the same thing. Uh, I don't want to say guru, but kind of a guru, someone that, you know, that would be more of like a mentor. And you're like, you know what? That's working this far, this far. I need to now invest in myself, invest more into it. And that's probably when you start leaning into mentors and masterminds, right? And it was a while, to be honest. I'm trying to think, you know, the first group that I joined was uh, Life on Air. And I want to say that might have been like 2016, 2017. Um, and that's more, that's uh, less business related, right? More life related. Um, I think it's a good hybrid. I mean, a lot of people uh, that aren't familiar with Life on Air, some people, I, I mean, I don't know why but they're like they find the message funny which i think they have some messaging mismatch sometimes at least but dude life on air funny the word you want to use what's that is funny the word you wanted to use there i'm not sure my mind's already up my goldfish mind's already on to the next thing but life on air man i gotta tell you my coaches uh chuck bauman who he passed away last the last year the year before and uh ken holmes were the two co-coaches of that group um who you know ken that group 
made a massive impact in them in particular on the trajectory of my life and business and just like having that well-rounded message. Um, so I, that was a great group for where I was at in time. Like I was going a hundred miles an hour, like growing the business, you know, they would, they didn't have any dog in the race except to make sure that I got what I wanted and that, you know, that my family got what I wanted. And I think a big part of the value of that group is that couples can go together um, and so me and my wife would go to that group and do, be on the coaching calls together. So it wasn't just what I wanted or what I thought I wanted. It was like we had to kind of ping pong off each other. And the coaches, you know, they would say, well, Kristen said this and Terry said this. And uh, how can we mesh all that together? And that was hugely valuable. And I think that's the kind of the problem with a lot of people that do business coaching and life coaching. They're in a silo by themselves right? If I'm telling you what I want and you're encouraging me to go after it or giving me the steps or feedback, it's a one-way street, right? And you're kind of, I think a lot of people do that. And then the the kids and their spouse suffer some of the consequences of it not being well-rounded for lack of a better term. Um, and that's why I think that group was so impactful for me because it made me realize like some of the things I was doing for the business weren't always serving my family and there was a way to get both. Um, and I think a lot of people look at that as um, settling or not playing full out when I think the real thing is they're settling in other areas of their life. But if you can get all of what you want, like that's what I think most people don't have. So, and I wouldn't say that I've got there. I think all of us always have work to do. I'm a big believer in that. You know, when you get to a nine, it's a lot harder to go from a, nine to a 9.1 than it is to go from a three to a four. Yep. Um, point. So, so let's back up a little bit. So it sounds like wholesaling business started around 2005, 2006. You joined Life and Air 2000, what'd you say, 15, 16? So basically 16, around 17. Yeah. So around 10 years, what did your business look like the first 10 years before you had true coaching? And then how did that evolve after you started getting coaching? Um, kind of what I was already hitting on, right? Like for the first couple of years, I mean, I was, you know, doing deals and kind of partner, doing a lot of like JV partnerships on wholesales. But the evolution of the, like the business got way more successful before I joined uh, Life on Air in particular. But what Life on Air brought to the table for me and having those coaches and mentors who were really like vested in just like calling out my BS was just calling attention to my blind spots. And I actually heard this on a front row dad's podcast. Uh, the guy was like uh, that John Vroman, the founder of front row dads, he was interviewing and the guy was talking about blind spots. And he's like, he was like, you know, we all think we're, we want to work on our blind spots, right? We are like, Oh man, like I have this blind spot over here. I have this blind spot here. He was like, you don't know what your fucking blind spots are. He was like, they're blind spots. He's like, what you're working on are your weaknesses because you're aware of them. He's like, that's why you need, uh, and I'm probably butchering this a little bit. He's like, but that's why it's important to have the right people and the right coaches and the mentors, because when they call that out, they're going to see those blind spots that you don't because you're blind to them sometimes consciously. And sometimes, uh, you know, unconsciously, I think we 
we push things down because we're like, oh, well, that's not a big deal or this and that doesn't matter. But when you have that person that is vested in calling you out and not, you know, worrying about like, <laughs> are your feelings going to be hurt or not by this? Because really it's in your best interest. I think that uh, is a huge value. And I think a lot that's tough. I think the other thing is, to be honest, a lot of people, it's tough to hear when they have feedback that challenges their worldview or of their business, their life, their marriage. It's uncomfortable shit to hear. <laughs> I mean, that's point blank. Like I can tell you that uh, I've sat on calls and sat in coaching rooms with some of those guys and it wasn't fun stuff to hear because when they call it out and then other people in the room call it out. And then if your wife's in the room and she calls it out, <laughs> Right. Like, yep. it's not just, oh, well, shut, shut up, John. Like, you don't you don't understand. It's like, no, like these. And, and it's not to be malicious or break you down, but to to make you better. Right. And that's yep. why I think a lot of people fragment from what I would consider true coaching or true mentoring, because they want feedback that challenges them a little bit, but reinforces their current worldview or their current situation. Yeah, no, definitely agree. And well, and I, you know, more than likely when you joined life and air and any of these other groups, you probably thought you were setting the world on fire at the time, right? You probably thought I've got this great business. I'm doing all these great things. And then you join this group and they're kind of just busting your bubble. And like, Hey, you're not doing it that great. You can change these things and it could be better. Yeah. And a lot of times it was the small shift, right? I mean, you can you shift a couple of degrees here, a couple of degrees there, and then over the course of three, four, or five years, it it becomes a big shift because you're talking about trajectory changes, right? Like you shift two degrees and you go three, four, six months, and then you shift another three. Like if you graph that out ge geometrically, right, that's going to become a big shift. You're talking about you're on a straight line. I don't know, cameras inverse. If you're on a straight line. You shift three degrees. And then over the course of time, then you shift another three. And then in a year and a half, you're a massive departure from your original trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. So wholesaling business for what, 15 years, uh, you were the largest wholesaler on the East Coast. Uh, we're going to plant the flag there and say that. That's false. So false you hit a, and uh, you hit, uh, you were in life and air. What happened from there to when you got into storage? What was the next shift? Because obviously there's there's time in your timeline, there's big time shifts here from what I can see that has brought you to different places in your life. Um, I'm I'm assuming it's made things better. So what's happened after wholesaling? You had you did have a huge wholesaling business, by my understanding. Um, you had a team of how many people? It was probably between eight and ten. I mean, there was uh, my, me and my wife and my, uh, I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a partner the entire time, but the last like four to six years I did. So it was him and his wife. And then we had, uh, so there's four of us plus three guys in the field plus two people in the office. And then we had some VAs. So, I mean, if you count every, all of those people it was probably 12 to 13. Yeah. I mean, actually. that's a legit, that's a legit business, especially a legit wholesaling business. So then what happened after that? So after life, not after, but during life and you're after 2015, 16, what happens to get you in the storage? 
So store COVID hit, right? And kind of just uh COVID for was a nuisance, of course, in a lot of ways, but um I think it was a blessing in a lot of ways. It just kind of gave me this space to take a break uh, because we were buying a lot of uh, courthouse foreclosures. And so all that shut down. And I just wanted something different and wanted to shift. Um, I mean, I love wholesaling. I think it's a great way to make money. And it's, I think really a lot of people look at wholesaling as the end business, but it's, if you create a really what wholesaling is, is you're, you should, you become a marketing or lead machine. And if you have that lead funnel and you can implement other aspects of whether it be buy and hold or flipping, um, you've got a pretty well-rounded business. And that's what I loved about it, right? Everyone's like, oh, well, wholesaling isn't real estate investing or wholesaling isn't building wealth. But it's like, well, if you take it by itself, like you could make arguments around that. Um, but we just had a lot going on. And when COVID, sh- COVID shut it down, it was just like, I think it kind of gave me permission to make a make a big switch and try go after something different, right? I mean, I had a team, we had a lot going on. We, you know, at any given time had like probably 20 to 40 houses under contract because the life wow. cycle of the deal, you know, would be two to four months at least. Um, and, and again, I think our highest year we were doing around, we did like 117 transactions. You know, that was not just wholesales, but that was rentals and flips. Um. So all that shut down and it was a good, a good time to pivot. Right. Um, and again, having the people I knew that I was around some of the, a lot of those people were through life. I mean, Ken was one of those people, Ken Holmes from life when he was doing storage. I was like, okay, I've got all these proof of concepts around me, people that I trust. Um, and it just was the right time. I think it was just right time. COVID help COVID was a big factor. And uh, made that shift. And so you answers your question, but yeah, about thirty percent of the way, I'll I'll get it out of you. Uh, So you you had some rentals, so you sold those off. You had a partner. What'd you guys do with the business? Because obviously that was that's an asset there. Um, You had rentals, that's an asset. You started getting the storage. How was that transition? What'd you do with the assets? So he bought, we had a buy sell agreement, which anybody who's got a partnership, I would highly recommend that that with assets or even just like, you know, uh, intellectual property processes, like, um, to set that out so that when you want to depart or your partner dies, they get divorced, you have an off ramp. And that was what I did. Like we had a buy sell agreement. So he bought all the rentals um, and we just, we just dispoed all of the wholesale deals and, you know, kind of wound down the business. I mean, it's still, even with that buy sell agreement to like do all that took about year and a half, I would say Um, we had 30 or 34 uh, rental properties. Some of the couple of those were like three to six units. Um, and so it, it made that part of it easy to some extent. There were still things we had to work through. Um, but that would be a big takeaway for anybody listening that has a partnership that doesn't have a buy-sell agreement is to implement that. And it seems like a combative conversation to have. It was actually my wife that brought it up at one point. She was like, "Cause she was like, what happens if you die? Like, I got to deal with all this stuff that we have no plan for. Um, and so when the COVID happened, we, you know, we already had, there was a plan in place to work from. 
Um, so any, yeah, I think that's a big, people just want to go hundred miles a minute. I mean, you and I both know people that don't have this kind of stuff in place and have seen various partnerships, you know, they're, they have, they're just like, I mean, 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Like, right. You don't, I mean, I don't even know what the stat is for business partnerships, but it's gotta be in the high 70, 80% range. Um, well, and that's all you hear. You only hear of partnerships that fail. And a lot of times they don't take the time, like we just said, to sit down and have a buy-sell agreement, get on the same page with things, business plan, everything. I, I, you know, I think that's obviously you, it sounds like you did that after you guys started the business. Um, but you still did it, which is important. Yeah. We, and we, that was the thing we started buying rentals and, um, you know, we started having real ad in the beginning, it was mostly wholesale deals, but you know, when we started having assets, it kind of created bigger questions. Um, and that was one of the things that, uh, when the question came up that the coaches in life, when they brought up, they're like, plan it with, they didn't say that, you know, this was when we started having the idea of like the buy sell and what do we, how do we, what do we do if one of us, something happens. And they said, plan it for the end in mind, right? Like, and they said, you know, fences make happy neighbors. Like if you have all that in, like when things change or somebody dies or somebody just has a change of heart, like it's going to make it a lot easier. And I can't harp on that enough because I've seen people I know and, and care about have, you know, stress that's created out of not having these agreements. And so I think it's a big point that a lot of people rush past because it's not fun stuff to discuss. Yep. You know, everybody wants to discuss doing deals, making more money and like building wealth. Well, part of building wealth is protecting your wealth. And that's kind of what that buy sell agreement is, right? It's like a sister plan to like a estate planning and stuff like that. I mean, if yeah. something happens to you and your partner and you have a bunch of assets and you have no plan to dispose of these or what that looks like, your wealth isn't protected. So, yep. Yep. That's a good point. Great analogy. So, 2020, you find, well, you knew Mike Wagner. But you join Mike Wagner's group. Uh, you dive in the storage. Your first deal's in 21? Uh, my first one was in 2020. 2020, uh, okay. in April. So you bought it how soon after diving in the storage? So I would say I started looking into storage in... Um, it was... December of 19, like loosely. And then I got kind of serious about it right before COVID. I was like, started looking and, and, and checking out deals. And, uh, and then my, my next one didn't come for another year. And the one I found, I think COVID helped play a factor in that because I think everyone was like, what the hell is going on with the real estate market? It was like right in the beginning of COVID, like the second week of March. Like I remember flying on the plane we, people weren't even wearing masks yet. And like, I, I always had allergies before I'd, I was sneezing and everyone's looking at me like I'm the carrier, like I'm patient zero, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think people were afraid to buy assets. I think probably anybody obviously with the market who bought anything then got, you know, had a great tailwind at their back. Yeah. So here's another turning point. You found another mentor. So this is your second mentor. That's probably been a huge projection in your life. Um, so you buy one 2020, you didn't buy one till 2022. Is that right? Is that what you said? I bought one in 2020. I bought one in 21. Well, the second one in 21. And then I bought 
two at the tail end of 21, one in the beginning of 22, and one at the end of 22. But you had like three within like two or three months, right? Yeah, those were the ones at the end of 2021. I bought like two in November, one in November, one in December, and one in January. And you're up to how many now? Uh, we have seven. Seven and a couple under contract and and you're obviously doing deals and you're still active in it. So what, where do you think you're going from here? What's your plan? You know, you've got seven facilities. What's your plan? You've got team. So actually before I ask that, so what did you learn as far as building a business, building a team from your wholesaling business that you've carried over to storage? That's a, I'll give you another compliment. That's a good question. Um, I had that one written down. Um, thinking about that one. So it's funny when we, when my wife and I started doing storage, we were like, okay, we're going to keep it small. We're going to keep it simple. It's just going to be us. And then even as we had two facilities, we realized that the team in the wholesaling business, like enabled us to step back, to let the business run without us. Um, and it would seem obvious coming from a team, but we were just like, okay, we'll keep things simple. We don't need to overcomplicate it and hire and manage people. But as we got into it, we realized that we really liked having the team. Like there's obviously stress points um, that come from having a team, right? I just, you, uh, you know, I've gone through one the last week and a half with one of my team members. We discovered a conflict of interest. You know, we weren't sure what was going to happen, whether we were going to, where that was going to go. Um, and you have to manage them, right? Like part of the, one of the things that I've not been, I'll be straight up. I haven't been good at with some of my team members, uh, over the last like six months, like is just meeting with them. It's like a lot of them just have like kind of repetitive tasks they do. And I don't, haven't been meeting with them to like pour into them, see how they're doing, just check in, make them feel like they're heard and supported. And I, I had Zooms actually yesterday and the day before with those team members. And just, I stepped up and said, look, I'm, I have, they didn't say anything about it, but I think it was kind of obvious. And I said, you know, I owned it and they appreciated that. Um, so I think that's the thing, you know, you're managing different, when, when you're going to a team versus single operator, when you're the operator, you're managing the books and you're managing the rehabs and you're managing the acquisitions when you step back to try to really have a true team, you become an, a, man, a manager of emotions and people. Um, well, I think too, there's, cause I had the same thinking as you, I had five facilities, I think. And I'm like, you know what? I I'm cool. I'm going to chill. I'm going to write off. Not that I was going to do this, but I had kind of had this thinking of, yeah, that's, I don't need to crush it and keep going. But I think there's power in, in, I don't want to say taking care of people, but giving people, you're creating jobs, right? The more you're producing, the more you're creating jobs, the more, and everyone, I'm guessing everyone that works for you, but everyone that works for me, it's a lifestyle job. Um, they're probably, my, I have a full-time person that's my district manager. I don't, I don't know if she works 15, 20, it's hard to track your time, but I don't know if she works 15, 20 hours a week um, from what I know she loves it. And that to me, that's what's more important than actually doing the deals. It's you're you're producing, you're making the world a better place. Um, so yet yeah, my train my train of thoughts 
around that has changed just because you see how powerful it is when you can help other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun too, right? To take people on the journey with you as like you're, as you're having success. I think that's what, uh, kind of gets understated. I mean, some people talk about it, but I don't know. I, I feel like that's a big part of it is to take them along. And I had a conversation with my, uh, operations manager yesterday about internal language and like not feeling like things are failed that we're growing like okay well instead of saying i failed at this or this didn't go as well how about okay we learned some things that didn't work as well and we need to reorganize them that so that we can be more efficient right like how does that and we had a, a conversation around that um right because there's negative just negative framework and that's you're talking about personal growth stuff in that point and just having uh becoming a better like operator having your team more efficient having them feel more fulfilled so definitely so to kind of put a bow on on your journey here if you want to tell us what what's your portfolio worth today Man, I, I don't know. Like the market value, I don't know. We're in a change yeah, in market. Mm, I'd say that the market value is probably I don't know between seven and nine. I'd have to look um, because the so, cap rate. Well, are, yeah, we'll, cap we'll rates call are changing. Nine. Call it nine. Yeah, it is, around. but we'll call it nine because we know the market's bouncing back at you know at some point. We'll call it nine. So. Within three years, you've accumulated $9 million worth of real estate and probably work how many hours a week? That How many hours a week do you actually have to work? That's a, that's a, I'll give you another compliment. That's a, you took a, it took a, a, a C question and turned it into a B plus. Um, that's a backhanded compliment. I love giving you a little smack around backhand. Um you know, if I only managed my team and didn't do acquisitions, which I mean, I'd probably, if we weren't acquiring, I'd get rid of it. But if we just maintained what we had, I mean, I could probably work 30 minutes a day. No. If that, and I'm just coming up with a number, just, and that would be mainly just having a meeting. Like my operations guy, as you, uh, you know, he was a fireman for the uh, DOD and he retired recently. So during his first six, seven months, he was, working a couple of days on a couple of days off. And we kind of had a haphazard uh, meeting schedule because of that, like in communication. And now that he retired, you know, we've been having a daily huddle meeting every morning. We had one right before I hopped on with you today for 20 minutes, just to make sure we're on the same page. And really that would be most of my work is managing him. And uh, you know, probably some things that might be a little bit that he doesn't know that I need to tag in on. And that was a big thing for us too. You were talking about a team, right? We realized, okay, we got to, we were at six facilities and I was spending all my time or a lot of my time managing the facilities and like doing repairs that needed to be made or like CapEx stuff. And like, that just wasn't the stuff I love to do. Right. And if I went on vacation and stopped doing it, then like all that stuff went by the wayside. I mean, there's third party managers you can hire. We've tried that. It didn't work out for us. Um, but I was like, okay, who would be the right person? He had worked as one of our site managers, our boots. Um, and we, you know, said, hey, this guy, he's got, he's pretty proactive. He'd be a good fit. Um, he, 
and we brought him in on that role. And so he, like, I haven't talked other than a couple of random texts and, you know, messaging people to, just to check in on him. Like he manages all the site managers. He deals with the customer service issues and repairs, all that stuff. And that's allowed me to step out and look at the acquisitions um, and free up that time. So that's like when we realized a year and I guess it was probably about a year ago that we really want a team so that we can have a real business. That was, that's really what's given us the true freedom. No. Well, yeah. And you, and you travel a lot too. You say 30 minutes a day. I mean, I've seen you where you've gone, you've gone to event to event to event, and then you're going to go look at some deals two, three weeks in a row and you haven't, you haven't done anything business wise. Right. So you do have the freedom to do that. You've, you'd kind of in a way choose to do more in your business from what I see, from what I've seen. It's fun. I've talked to you about that before, right? It's like mental chess. You're like strategizing on acquisitions on like what would be right for the, uh, business. So it's, uh, I like parts of it. Right. But I also like having the option to step back. And that's what I've tried to tell my operations manager. I'm like, Hey man, if you want to go on a vacation, like we need to have this stuff documented and processized so I can step back in um, and help, you know, help out for that week. And so that's what we're working on now is like really creating a system because I think that's the next route we're going is uh, um, probably doing more of our operations in house because that will actually give it you know you can argue both sides of this it'll give us some freedom and and more control over what we can do and not do like for everything from uh turnover to auctions um to giving our eight you know the people who are taking care of customer service leeway on handling issues um so i'm excited for that we started trialing that stuff uh this past weekend that's cool that's cool. Well, I think you've given us uh, a ton of uh, great business and, and life information on how to do more. There we go. Plug my podcast, how to do more. Um, so two, I got two questions for you. Two last questions, I think. We'll see if this is it. What What is one book that's been just completely transformed your life? Transformed? Wow. Uh, that's a big question. Um, big question, or is that a big word? Yeah, the book is a big word. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm like ADD when it comes to reading. I read a little bit and then I like get off track. Um, I've probably read like the books are on my bookcase. I've probably read this is actually a pretty simple question, Terry. We just want a book, and I'm dodging it because I'm trying to think of what because I don't read. Um, you do read, I know you read. And yeah, even if you whole, don't read the whole book, you read, you at least dive into some and you get stuff out of them. Yeah. I was, I mean, if you're, it depends on where you're at in your journey too. I mean, the, I mean, the one book everyone talks about, I actually recommended it to a friend of mine who's not in real estate the other day is rich dad, poor dad. And that's because that's a financial f- mindset framework book that about how to think about money. Well, I'm actually rereading right now, psychology of money, which is a mm. great book and easy read. It's like 20, short stories um about finance and financial mind or frameworks and i think that goes a lot into right the stories we tell ourselves about money from when we were younger and even recently and i think that's a big i like that book because it makes me look at things 
just differently when it comes to spending money, even on the business, right? Like my operations guy, was, we're posting a job ad. He was like, oh man, like, he's like, these job sites are so expensive. He's like, this site's 25 bucks a day or this site's $10 an application. And so I was about to ask him, well, what do you think is the best one? And then I asked, re- reframe the question. I said, how much do you think it's worth saving to have a C applicant versus a B applicant? Because that's the real question, right? Like if we have a bigger funnel, like, right, if you're mar- if you have a job ad, you're marketing, you're marketing for the right talent for your team. So if we go smaller, do what's cheap or free, or don't do as much, we have a smaller funnel with less applicants to choose from. I said, so that's the question. If we, ha- maybe we still get a B applicant from the smaller funnel. I said, but let's say we only have 10 people to pick from versus 80. That's the question. What's, what's that worth? How much do you want to save? And it's just reframing stuff like that in your mind, right? About how that is. So I, that book's really been a good book for me. And then, um, so you were uh, only allowed one book. You just said two. First, she yelled at me for not naming a book and dancing because I don't read now. I'm too many books. You know, you got to pick one here. I can't, that's how well, I psychology of money. We'll take that. And that's, uh, it's a good point. I actually, have, I've been writing down ideas of what I'd like to talk about on this podcast. And that's one of them is the, basically psychology of money. Cause there's so many things that we're not necessarily taught just as, as a society, we've kind of been taught, right? It wasn't necessarily our parents. It was society. Like how, how many times did you hear growing up? Money's dirty. Don't pick that money up. Um, which you may still want to think about that because you may find some fentanyl and a dollar you find on the street, but there's, there's so many misconceptions out there about money. Like, Rich people are the worst people in the world. You know, anybody that has money, they're snobs, right? There's just so many things. Um, so that's a good point. So my last question is, what do you think is your greatest attribute that has gotten you this far in business and life, everything? Man, tough, tough. Hit me with a tough question. I only like questions that I know the answer to. Um, you know the answer. I think it's a mixture of you have to have, I mean persistence and belief um right because and that's comes down to environment i think the belief part is a big big factor environment a lot of people have people chirping in their ear about like you know i remember when i left uh my (laughs) job at the city my dad was like he didn't say it verbatim but it was he he was like that's not a good he didn't think it was a good move but I didn't have the belief that if I stayed there on that path that I was going to get, should I, would I survive? Would I be okay in life? Sure. Would I have the life I want and the freedom I want? Probably not. Um, I didn't know how it was going to happen. Right. I was like, whether it was real estate or selling something else, like, um, but I had the belief that that, that wasn't the path and that I knew a couple options that were going to be better. And then the persistence factor when stuff isn't working out how you want, whether it be deals blowing up or business costs are too high that you can work through all that. I mean, that stuff will knock you on your butt day in and day out. Yep. Um, so I think those two things, I don't think that there's anything unique about me in that capacity. I just think that I, I think getting that first wholesale deal done quick gave me also proof of concept. I think a lot of people grind their way through and it it can be demoralizing and give up. 
And that's why I think drafting off of people around you, the confidence and the belief and all that um, is, is important. And having that right, like, oh, book, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore your thing about one, uh, atomic habits, right? And they talk a lot about that yeah. env- environment-based stuff, right? Whether it be health or work. And the people around you are part of your environment. And so when all those people are knocking you down, like you have to be around, put yourself in the right circles, consume the right information, not listen to those people and go after it. So I don't, yeah, I don't think anything's unique. I think there's just two things. If you have those two and don't lose sight of it or let other people diminish it. I mean, on a long enough time frame, everybody can achieve more than where they're at. Right. Might take yep. you three years versus me a year or whatever, vice versa. But it's that belief in persistence. Yep. Well, you say those aren't unique, but they absolutely are. I would say, like, I don't have a number. I would say there's probably not more than 5% of the world that has both of those. And it's probably a smaller number than that, at least consistently, right? Um, we may all go through periods of where we have belief and periods of where, um, what was your second one? Persistent belief in persistence. persistence. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that may be the bigger one. Well, they're probably somewhat related too, but I don't think a lot of people stick with things. I mean, I'm sure you've talked to plenty of people wanting to get in the storage. They're all gun ho. And 60 days later, you hear nothing from them. They haven't done anything. They went back to their nine to five. They're in their daily routine. They're on the hamster wheel and they just keep churning, just keep running on their hamster wheel. So, you say that, but I don't think many people are equipped with both those. So kudos to you. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. So we're, uh, we're almost uh, 45 minutes in here. Um, I appreciate it, Mr. Terry. You were my first guest on this podcast that we may not make it to episode six. I don't know. Appreciate having you on. Appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, you definitely provide a ton of value. Yeah, man, I appreciate having you on and uh, love it. If anybody needs wants to reach out to me or has any questions, you can hit me up at uh, uh, RoyceSelfStorage at gmail.com. And John, if there's ever anything I can do for you, man, you know, I, I, I'll i just say this publicly. I appreciate you. And we've had a lot of great conversations. And, um, you know, part of that belief in persistence, right? When I've had doubt about deals or just don't know what's going on with X, Y, and Z, I lean on you. I lean on other people in my circle and, you know, I appreciate that, man. So thank you. Yep. I appreciate you. And uh, same to you. We, we both bounce ideas off each other. So again, appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.